no, 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 Everybody, Norm over here. I want to tell you about our latest podcast with the great Jason Sine and Mark McKay. Now, Jason plays with a band called The Dirty Knobs, and it's actually Mike Campbell featuring The Dirty Knobs, and they are a really great band. They've been playing around town for years, and it's uh, Mike Campbell's side project that was other than when he was playing with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and Fleetwood Mac. Um, this is something that he's been doing for years, and it's kind of been L.A.'s best kept secret. So I think you're going to really dig him. He's a great singer, great songwriter, and great guitar player. And then Mark McKay, who is a L.A. country musician, moved to Nashville. He's doing really great. Just opened up for Blake Shelton. Um, his career is really taking off. Great songwriter. So check it out. These guys really play great together, and it's a very interesting and fun podcast. Thank you, guys. Hey everybody, Norm over here at the Norm's Red Guitars Podcast, and I've got two very close friends, two really great guys and great guitar players. Both of them have a lot of musical history and making new history, and I've got my buddy Jason Sine. Uh, Jason is, uh, he's got his own band uh, called Ape, but he's got a band called The Dirty Knobs, which both those bands are the best kept secrets in L.A., and now they're not going to be a secret anymore because the Dirty Knobs are starting to explode nationally and internationally. And we got my buddy Mark McKay, who's a great country artist who lived in L.A. And then he defected and moved to Nashville. So, um, so we're going to have to talk to him. And, uh, you know, we got him back in L.A. here breathing some bad air. And, uh, you know, it's always fun, you know, reminiscing and seeing these guys. And both these guys have done a lot of work for the Midnight Mission, which is a charity that's very, very dear to my heart. And we're going to talk about all that. So uh, here we are at the Norm's Rare Guitars Podcast. Thank you, guys. Well, I can't tell you how long we rehearsed that, but because <laughs> we didn't. But, uh, you know, I like to throw these guys into the fire, and uh, these guys are both really good players, and they both have great musical sensibilities. So um, first I'm going to uh, talk to my buddy Jason Sine, who um, has a fantastic career. Um, his he, He's been playing in this band called The Dirty Knobs that – uh, it's Mike Campbell in the Dirty Knobs, let's say. And they have been playing in L.A. for years. And when Mike was off the road with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers or when he wasn't on the road with Fleetwood, um, 
he would play the dirty knobs. And Mike is one of these guys who just loves to continue to play, and he doesn't want to take time off from his playing, so he continues to do so. And this band, everybody in L.A. that knows about the dirty knobs, they pack every house and, you know, whatever. But now they've got a new record coming out, and uh, I know there's going to be a big push behind the record, and Tony Dimitriotis is, uh, you know, Tom's manager is involved with it too, right? Yeah, we have just, you know, wonderful people involved. Uh, BMG Records is putting out the record. Our first single, Reckless Abandon, is out on radio now, so listen for it. And the record gets released on March 20th, and we're going on the road. We're doing a, a lot of touring this year. But you're getting a lot of play from that record now, like, you know, advanced play, right? Yeah, actually, it's we're very pleasantly surprised it's just it's getting a ton of play and it just seems to keep expanding and every few days i hear oh so and so is playing it and it's you know the other night i, I was driving home and i put on the radio and there we were that's got to be that's got to kind of blow your mind you it know? was mind blowing uh you know i had one instance that was didn't work out all that well for me, but I remember I was standing in a clothing store in Miami, and I had this record with uh, this guy Bobby Caldwell, and um, uh, all of a sudden I w I'm in the store and I hear it being played, and I said, "We've done it, we've made it." Well, it didn't quite work out that well for me, <laughs> but I didn't have Mike Campbell in my band, so uh, you know I think it's going to work out just fine. And these guys, you know, they've got a, an array of fantastic tunes, and they also. Uh, extend a lot of the tunes into some of these kind of almost like uh, Grateful Dead kind of jam. There's a, a dead kind of thing happening in the band as well, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, you know, Mike knows how to read an audience really well. You know, he's had a lot of experience. Yeah. <laughs> and he just knows when to break it down or extend something. And I just, you know, if you've ever come to see the Dirty Knobs, you'll notice the three other guys staring at Mike. What's going to happen? And that's part of what keeps it so special. It's well, never boring. Keeps it fresh because you keeps never know what's going to happen. That's right. You know? So, uh, but you know, Mike does know how to pace a show, and I'm, I've seen you guys play so many times, and it really is uh, a terrific thing. And it's a guitar player's band. It's a guitar player's delight. I mean, you you know, they do stuff from. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, they can do a lot of acoustic stuff, but they mainly are an electric band. And uh, Jason plays a, a Stratocaster most of the time, but you also have a you know a number of Les Pauls. You've got a pretty extensive guitar collection that you use and yeah. pull out. I've seen Thanks pull to out. you, sir. Well, thank you. I've seen him pull out a White Falcon, an original one from the 50s, um, beautiful uh, 50s Les Paul Custom, yep. and uh, you know a number of different Stratocasters and Telecasters, and even a light show guitar. I, I sold Jason this one guitar that you flick on this switch, and it's uh, kind of a modified light show thing, but it's I guess there's like Christmas tree lights inside it, and it's pretty psychedelic. It's just, it's such a crowd pleaser. You can't go wrong. Oh, yeah. You flick that thing on and just, doesn't the really matter what you Audience feels like they just <laughs> dropped acid or something. Yeah, I don't it's know. great. So, uh, <laughs> and it's a good guitar. And, and it's a good guitar. It sounds really good, too. Now, Mark, Mark uh, was playing a lot in L.A., and uh, because he's uh, a country artist, uh, you felt that you would move to Nashville. I fought it for a long time, actually. You know, it was weird because I, I love L.A. Uh, there was no part of me that, like, burned out on it or felt like it wasn't going anywhere or anything like that. I mean, I hear those stories all over. I love it here. Um, but it was funny. Like, the first time I went to Nashville, there was this— uh, 
something was pulling me and telling me that I needed to be there. And I didn't, I didn't quite know what that was, but what you also see is 4 million guys that look just like me all doing the same thing, you know, and anyone who knows the music business, it's a hard thing to get off the ground, you know? So I was, I, I stayed here cause we were touring a lot and things were good. But once I felt that it was time to move there, I, I signed with a great manager and I moved there, but, um, I realized what it was. It, it's the creativity of the songwriting there. That's, that's like a part of my life that, that was just, it was just a little bit absent here. Like I love writing songs and I love touring. I love play. I love all these things, you know, but these communities of songwriters in Nashville and how you get two or three or four people together and each one of them is bringing, you know, one guy wrote, is a, was a number one writer on a song, but he's kind of a lyric guy. And then over here is a guy that played guitar on another record, but he brings a musical thing. It's just the synergy is like on another planet, you know? So there's a brotherhood there you know, is. going on of writers. You know, four million guys that look like you. <laughs> I can't even imagine. What there. would four million guys that look like me, man? It would be like a dart fest or something. People would be like... You know, throwing darts at pictures that look like me. I don't know. There's a lot of them, That's pretty scary. That's funny. That's a scary thought. But both these guys are really good guitar players, really good singers, and really good songwriters. And um, one thing that you guys have in common is the Midnight Mission. And that's a charity that's very dear to my heart. And I think I kind of introduced you You guys to that. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, Jay, I mean, you've been so involved with the Midnight Mission. Tell us a little bit about your involvement. Well, I first learned of the Midnight Mission from you years and years ago. You were telling me about it. And then I went down there and met some of the people and then saw what's going on. And specifically, what's not only what's going on in the mission and how they run things and all the wonderful things they do, their programs, but what's going on in that area with... um, which is spilling deeper and deeper into Los Angeles right now. It's really scary what's happening. And it broke my heart because I grew up in L.A. I've had a very charmed life. I don't know what that is to be homeless or to live on the street. I just felt like, you know, I got to do something to give back. But you know that musicians and homeless can be one and the same. That's right. And, you know, somebody just made a couple bad decisions, whether it be Drugs, alcohol, just poor business decisions. Uh, sometimes it's mental illness. Sometimes it's people that have just been laid off their job. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of times it's just normal folks that kind of experience some bad turns of events. And then they're out on the street. And, uh, you know, that can be dangerous. And what that would do to somebody mentally to just be out there every night. If you had a sandwich and somebody's ready to kill you to take your sandwich you know i mean it's it's pretty scary in a city that's as affluent as la mark what's your uh, take on the mission well i remember you introduced me to the mission as well i came to an event that um richie sambora was playing and a few guys and i watched it and i i met some of the people there that night and um and i i too felt that it was something i needed to to give back to what was what was funny was um I shouldn't say funny. What was interesting was I came down and watched uh, Robin Ford play down there in the day room, yep. you know, and, and uh, we've done some bigger scale events for them, but the day room is about as stripped down as it gets, right? I mean, it's basically a cafeteria and that we set up a very basic PA system. And if that drummer plays too loud, you won't hear anything. It's that kind of vibe, you know, and they just open the doors to these people to come in and listen to music. And I was so blown away by um, their reaction to you know, on, on a, a fairly sophisticated level. I mean, they could tell what an amazing guitar player he was. They could tell they were seeing something special they don't get to see all the time. And right. that, I mean, those, those guys can't afford to walk into a club and pay the cover charge or whatever it would be, um, you know, so they don't really get to hear music. And music is kind of the 
item of love that you can pass on to these people and give them a happy moment or two when they have so much I'll, I'll tell going you, on. I'll tell you a funny thing about that. The first time I played it down there in the day room like that, they call it uh, music with a mission. And the first time I, I played that, um, uh, I thought to myself, well, this will be interesting. I don't, you know, I, I'm just going to jam. We'll just play some guitar solos and we'll watch them dance and it'll be fun. And, and, and then how, you know, we played a few songs and then I, you know, they were really into it. They're really engaged, you know? And so I said, well, do you guys want to hear anything? And, you know, there are these people coming up very timidly to me going, is there any way that, you know, Bob Seger, you know, and, and it wasn't even the hits. It was some of the deep stuff, you know, like, yeah. is there any chance, you know, the, and, and I'm going, I don't, but we're going to figure it out right now, you know? And so the bit we turn around real quick and go, you, okay, we work it out and then we play it. And, and uh, anyway, just watching how much music connects with people. I think that's like the most rawest emotion with music, you know, is that yeah. it just can it can change people's and Jay, lives. And Jay, you played down there also numerous times, and yeah. you've done a lot of things. You know, you played at the Golden Heart Award, received the Golden Heart Award. You know, um, it's something very special that, uh, you know, I know means a lot to you. But when you see the faces on these people that really don't get a chance to hear any music, anything, it, it really it, it really gets to you. It does. It's it's profound. And I still remember this one woman particularly who seemed very withdrawn while we were playing and that just sort of just got up, started dancing. And I just caught her eye and I waved at her. And she, once we engaged with each other, we spoke for 20 minutes afterwards. And she said how it lifted her up. It made her feel something she hasn't felt in a long time. And I went home and cried, you know, yeah. in the car on the way home well, because I was so moved. I it mean, incredible. you know, if you have any kind of, you know, uh, you know, if you're sensitive in any way to, yeah. you know, other people's hurt and, you know, uh, and you see it. One thing is uh, when Robin played now, Robin Ford, he played with my buddy Grant Geisman. And both oh, wow. of these guys are like incredible guitar players. And they agreed to go down there and play together. And it was heavy duty. We've got on uh, one of our Norm's Rare Guitars videos, we got part of it on video. And it's astounding. And on the video, and this this was really moving there was an older lady there. Um, she must have been maybe 75, and she had a walker. And she, as they were playing, they were playing this really cool, funky tune, and she took the walker and she walked up right near the band. Then she left the walker and started dancing. And it was like, what? I mean, you know, it was amazing. And this lady, it looked like she could barely walk, but the music really took her to a different place. And it really was uh, mind-blowing that, uh, you know, that music can transform people so much. Um, there's, you know, there's a, a movie that I saw, and I can't even remember the name of the movie, but it was about a lot of these old folks that were in like these old folk homes, and maybe they're family didn't visit them for years maybe they didn't speak to anybody and they became so withdrawn that they hardly spoke to anybody you know somebody would come and they would help them you know with their food and whatever and these people um it, it was like they were all in a shell to themselves then what they did was they kind of uh, put headphones on these people with tunes that were sort of popular in their youth and all of a sudden you could see them coming out of their shell and they were like, they were speaking to people. There was like, it, it was one of the most moving things I've ever seen because these are people that haven't spoke to anybody in years. Their family's kind of forgotten them. Right. And all of a sudden they hear some music and it's something that they remember from a happy time in their life. And it really transforms them and you see it right in front of your eyes. It's, it's 
really a moving thing. But I don't want to get too depressing with you guys. So, uh, Mark McKay, you have a new tune that uh, you just did, and it's out now, and you're getting a lot of uh, heat on the tune, and it's uh, it's a really cool tune. Yeah, thanks, uh, man. Should we play it for you? What is, yeah, well, the name of it is? It's called Always Rains in Portland. All right. And uh, cool. I'll just finger pick my way through this. Here All we right. go. Jason's going to follow you. Heck yeah, he is. I got a new life I'm living on my own. I'm driving with Neil Young, singing on the radio. Going where the trees grow tall And the beer is always cold And my heart of gold is gone And I'm just growing old Raindrops on the rooftops This hole floods my mind Say it happens for a reason, and I don't know if I believe it. Be a long, long journey, you'll see. It always rains in Portland, but the sun always shines on me. It always rains in Portland, but the sun always shines on me. Come on, Jason, take one. Mark McKay and my buddy Jason Sine playing some beautiful backup on that. Really cool. And uh, these guys are great musicians. And like Jason, just thrown into the fire here, just heard the tune <laughs> once and jumps right in. And uh, that's what helps when you got ears like that and you can hear. And, you know, with all that improvising and all the stuff you do with the dirty knobs, that kind of sets you up to be a great accompaniment. Well, Company I hit, is. I hit a wrong note every once in a while, but that keeps me, you know, keeps me humble. You know what well, I'm, you know what I'm just, jazz, you know what I'm just thinking as we're doing this. I haven't even told him this yet, but we just, we finished a show in Reno, Nevada, and a guy came up to me at the end and he said, 
have you ever met Jason Sine? And I said, I have. And he said, I, f I follow him on Instagram. He's my favorite guitar player. And you guys would be great jamming together. So if you're if that guy's listening right now, we pulled it off. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Well, it's nice because these guys are friends and these guys play music beautifully together. And uh, by the way, Mark, you just been out on the road opening for Blake Shelton. And who else? Tim McGraw. A couple other country guys played some shows with Lanco and Marshall Tucker Band and Ted Nugent, a bunch of them. Yeah, it was a really exciting year. Um, Ted Nugent, that doesn't sound quite yeah. the same as those other guys. You know, these days country can mold into a lot of things. <laughs> music is music. Yeah. yeah no, so it, was it, it was really fun, actually. He was he was, he was was really good to us on the road. Um, yeah, those shows with Blake and Tim especially were, were pretty noteworthy. When we showed up in uh, Minot, North Dakota, there was 22,000 people standing there. All general admission. They had all gotten there. They, half of them had camped out overnight to make sure they could get as close to the stage as they could, wow. you know. And I just walked out there and thought, I, it, as a musician, especially as an artist, you know, you, you you go, I don't know if I ever consciously thought I was going to get this far, you know. I mean, we all do, but th those are like those specific moments where you just go, I can't believe there's that many people here to see this show. Anyway, it was well, really you know, when you know a career starts making that turn and it starts going good. Um, that must be a fantastic feeling, you know, just uh, knowing that, you know, all the work that you put in for so many years is finally being appreciated. Yeah, man. That's and, so cool. And, Jason, I you're going to be seeing that <laughs> a lot lately, you know, coming up, too, because the Dirty Knobs, when you go on tour this time, it's going to be. I mean, you know, because when Tom was alive and, um, you know, and they were doing the, you know, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers thing, um, the Dirty Knobs sort of had to kind of stay a little bit in the background, even though Mike loved the band and all that. But it was, you know, it was, was a side guy. project. Yeah. He was a and busy guy. so <laughs> now it's a chance for you guys to really shine and you guys are you know all fantastic musicians the Thank you. the whole band is terrific band and it's really guitar centric it is and our our rhythm section i mean these guys are just unbelievable i mean matt log on drums yeah terrific he, the guy's just he, he's his time is so unbelievable who, his, who has he played with was he with he uh, was in slash's band he played on uh jagged little pill the uh huge uh, uh -huh. i'm the name escapes me but that very big Alanis Morissette, thank you. Um, and I mean, tons and tons. Of, he plays with Bosco in Italy, who's the Didn't biggest. Did somebody say uh, Don Henley? Who, who was that's with our Don? bass player? That's Lance Morrison. Oh, Lance was playing he, with he, Don Henley for 20 yeah. years. He's played with, yeah. Uh, so, how bad can these guys be? I mean, these guys got uh, <laughs> these guys got the uh, cred to, to play with anybody. It's they're they're so good. I mean, they're just beyond, you know. Uh, the thing I really love with music is that, um, you know, there's guys that can play a lot of notes and it's fantastic that they can do it. But when it's when you're playing the right thing for every song, that to me is uh, a real mature mu musician, I think. You know? Yeah, because it's look, we all want to jam, and I mean, we all want to just, you know, I mean, this guy can rip up on the guitar, I've seen how he can play. And you're such a tasteful player. It's, it's all ears. It's just all yeah. about well, Mike playing is, the right uh, stuff. And Mike, I have to say, in my opinion, is the closest thing to George Harrison because George always played the perfect part for every always. tune. Every solo was as important as the melody of the tune. And same thing with Mike, you know, on all the tunes that he plays. It's always so tasteful, mm -hmm. and it's never too much, but he's capable of blazing with anybody. Oh, But he beyond. knows when to use it and when not. Yeah, exactly. And the tone. Yeah. Can't forget the tone. That tone, that's, Mike's it, tone is like nobody's tone. As soon as you hear him play, that's who it is. 
Well, uh, now that we've talked a little bit about that, we're going to put Jason on the spot here. Um, can you give us one of your tunes? And uh, yeah, I'm going to switch your... gears. I'm going to switch gears okay. to do something that's just E to A, but I need a pick because it was e just finger pick. A oh, pick, thank you, brother. So this is really, really just jam on E. Do any, anything you want. We'll do like half of this song. It's called okay. Chicken Girl. It was on my first record, and the chorus is great because it just says, "Baby, what you trying to do to my head?" What you meant was not what you said. And I know that most people can relate to that, man or woman. <laughs> Woke up this morning, sun behind a cloud. Gray skies with a blackbird chirping too loud. Baby, you're still sleeping. Must have been a long, long night. We threw some angry words around. I hope everything's all right. I said, baby, what you trying to do to my head? What you meant was not what you said. What you trying to do to my head? Jason Sine. So um, these guys really play excellent together. You know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, if, it, if other things don't work out, now we have another uh, opportunity I for you guys. Well. I think you guys are doing just fine on your own, but uh, it's really great when you hear two musicians that, you know, kind of communicate like it's, that. There's it's, nothing cooler. So yeah. in, I like, it's just the coolest thing, especially because I like Mark. We have Mutual Admiration Society, and then we get to jam, and it's just, it's but you there. guys almost kind of anticipate what's coming next. And, yeah. You know, when to stay out of the way and when to get in and when to get out and all yep. that kind of stuff. Very, very cool. That's fun. So, um, you know, we're going to take a little break and we're going to come back uh, and uh, we're going to talk a lot more with Jason and we're going to talk a lot more with Mark. And I hope you guys stick around. So can you take us out with a little instrumental thing and, uh, you know... Cincinnati, the great Mark McKay. You know, that almost sounds like a band. Jason Sinead and Mark McKay. Hallelujah. We'll be right back. Fantastico. Hey, everybody. Go to allguitarnetwork.com or go to the App Store and download the All Guitar. 
Radio Network is free, and you get to see these podcasts for free the following week. The podcast will be on Tuesday. The following Tuesday, you'll see the video at the Algafar Network exclusive. Hey, so, uh, you know, Jay, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, um, you know, some of the people that I've seen playing with you in your bands, uh, you know, Bruce. Bruce Watson from Foreigner. Uh, what a great I love that guitar man. player, great guy, you know, just Unbelievable amazing. player. Unbelievable. Blondie. Blondie Chaplin is, I mean, one thing about Blondie that he told me, and Blondie, for those of you who may not know who he is, we're talking Beach Boys, Rolling Stones, The Band. Those are just some of the bands he's played with. Flame was, I think, his Flame, first band. Yeah. his first band out of uh, South Africa. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, is an incredible vocalist, incredible instrumentalist. And when he plays in my band, like one day I said, take a solo, and he blew me out of the water. So I just said, you're soloing on Half the Night because it's in my head now. And how about Ivan Neville? Ivan, who's taught me so much, you know, I was touring with him when I met Mike Campbell. It was during that period, and I sort of accidentally ended up in Ivan Neville's band. I'm not really quite sure how it happened. I hired him to do it. I was the musical director on Roseanne's talk show, Roseanne Barr's short-lived talk show. Very cool. And she said, get anyone you want. I said, well, can I have Ivan Neville and Charlie Drayton? And, you know, so I got this crazy band. Well, if you're going to pick, you might as well go for the Gus. Might as well. And she said she okayed it, and that's how I, you know, I'd met Ivan before, but that's when we first played together. Well, you know, it's amazing because, I mean, you know, and people, you know, because Jason has so many buddies, you know, that, like, all of a sudden he'll be playing and then say, yeah, let's bring this guy up, and it's like, holy crap, you know, so... It's always an experience. I'm a lucky dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And uh, Mark, your band that you are out touring with, um, how many guys in that band? So it's it's four sometimes, but it's mostly five. I like to have a uh, one guy that'll alternate between like a dobro and a lap steel, and maybe a mandolin or something, something to color it up a little bit. And uh, and what's cool is that all of them are the guys that I started playing with in L.A. So even though I'm in Nashville, we typically treat everything as a fly date, and and it it's uh, it's very comfortable when you have guys that you you know they're like brothers after a while. Well, you know, if you're out on the road and you're on a tour bus or you're doing anything yep. and you're out on the road, it's nice to be with people that you can hang with because uh, all it takes is one uh, bad apple to kind of turn the whole experience into kind of a nightmare. It's so true. It's, it's so true. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one of the cool stories with our thing is that uh, the guitar player who plays with me, Jeff Marshall, he's sometimes out with the Alan Parsons Project too. Great, unbelievable player, cool. and he um, he was actually one of my guitar teachers when I went to um, Musicians Institute in L.A., uh-huh. which might have been where I met you originally. I think is where where we yeah. were. Anyway, yeah. um, so he was actually my guitar teacher. Then we kind of became buddies and peers, and now and then he came out occasionally, and now he's out all the time with me. But we, you can only imagine the synergy there. I mean, he showed me a lot of the stuff that I'm playing, you know. So now there's like next, to, yeah, there's like next to nothing I can it. do that he won't school me on. So it's kind of fun to, it's kind of fun to do that. That's awesome. That's really you know, cool. you know what's, uh, you know, talking about guitar teachers and stuff and the Midnight Mission. Um, uh, my friend Don Felder, who was formerly with the Eagles, um, 
one of the greatest guitar players oh, yeah. ever. ever. But a lot of people don't know that he was Tom Petty's guitar teacher in Gainesville, Florida, at Lippin no Music. Really? And, you know, it was really crazy, you know, how uh, everything kind of, there was out of Gainesville, a lot of really great players came out of that scene. And, uh, you know, so, and both of them have been involved with the Midnight Mission. And with Tom, uh, the, the cool thing with Tom was I was, uh, Tom did the forward to my first book. And there was a guitar in there that Tom wanted. And it was a guitar that I had just gotten. It was a very rare Rickenbacker. It was a 360 model uh, with F-holes, and it was a double-bound 12. And it was, uh, Rose Morris was a distributor uh, in England for Rickenbacker. So they made these special models for Rose Morris. And anyhow, I had just gotten the guitar, and I got it from my buddy Chris in London, who had got it from a guy who got it from Hesse's Music. Hesse's is where the Beatles got all their mm-hmm. um equipment back in the day so um it was in the book and it had a receipt from hesse's and when tom saw that he loved the guitar but when he saw the receipt from hesse's and he was a big beetle fan and uh you know it's amazing because he got to kind of live uh a dream for himself and being able to play with the wilburys and george harrison and all that kind of stuff you know because the beatles meant a lot to tom but um he he wanted this guitar badly and i was wasn't ready to quite sell it. And I said, Tom, listen, I, I promise you when I sell it, it's yours. And every three months or so, Tom would go, like, hey, Norm, it's Tom. What about that Rickenbacker? And I go, yeah, Tom, I'm just not quite ready to sell it. It's yours. Don't worry about it. Finally, one day he called and I said, Tom, here's the deal. I'll trade you for something that you're not using. And uh, But one thing I would like you to do is play a show for the Midnight, Mid- Midnight Mission. And Tom said, well, you know, we're just doing uh, Mud Crutch, which was his first band with Mike and Ben Mont and uh, two other guys, um, uh, Bernie Ledden's brother, Tom Ledden, and Randall, Randall Marsh. Marsh. Hmm. And um, so uh, he said, we're about to do an album. We haven't done an album in 30 years, and we haven't played together in 30 years. And um, so maybe the first date we'll do will be for the Midnight Mission. And in that band, Tom played bass. So I ended up um, doing the trade with Tom, and Tom did the gig for the Midnight Mission. And once he saw what the mission did, he went down there and saw what was happening, and he became very involved with it because, I mean, he kind of knew also it could have been him homeless. I mean, you know, he didn't have a lot of backup. You know, he wasn't going to med school. Uh, nobody was going to trust him to do brain surgery on them. <laughs> so uh, it was, uh, you know, it was a thing for him. But once he saw it, um, he really got so involved with it after the gig, um, you know, I said, thanks, Tom. You did what you said you do, and, uh, you know, you you kept your word, and everything's good. You got your guitar. Everything's cool. And Tom goes, well, we'll do it again. And I went, uh, uh, you know, I didn't ask you to do it more than once. I mean, we agreed one, one deal, and it's one deal, and you did it. You know, he said, we'll do it again. And I never called him again because I didn't want to be a pest about it. I didn't want to even bring up the subject. Eight years later, they decided to do the second Mudcrutch record, and Tom calls me and goes, hey, Norm, uh, remember when I said we'd do it again? No And I way. went, yeah. And I said, are you kidding? He says, no, Mudcrutch, we got this new record we're doing. We want to do it again. But, you know, he said it's Mudcrutch, so I don't know if it's going to sell out. And Tom Petty, of course, it's going to sell out, you know. So, And so he, we went to several clubs, Canyon Club and Agora, and different places where we thought we'd do it. 
And there was a place called the Northridge Performing Arts Center. They had two theaters, a 1,200 and a 500-seat theater. He said, let's do it in the smaller 500-seat theater. I said, you sure? I know it's going to sell. He said, I don't know if it'll sell out. It's mud crush. You know. Anyhow, uh, he said, let's do it on a Monday night because we're going to go out on tour on Friday. Um, as soon as we put the tickets up, five minutes later, they were gone. Oh, so yeah. I called him up. I said, Tom, you know, good news. You know, we sold out. He said, well, then let's do Tuesday as well. I went, what? <laughs> you know, and so did the gig. And once again, it was a, a big success. We raised a lot of money for the Midnight Mission. And Mike, of course, was involved. And, you know, and Mike's been involved in other things with the mission as well. But it was such a cool deal. And at the very end of the gig, you know, we kind of hugged. And I said, Tom, man, I... How do I thank you? I mean, you know, it's you, we agreed to one, you know, now you've done three, you know, and he, uh, at the end, he, you know, we hugged and he said, we'll do it again. Well, unfortunately, you know, because of the circumstance, Tom's not around to do it again, but I know that if he was, that he would keep his word. I mean, he was a, a really good guy, very low key, and, uh, you know, a lot of people, because he had kind of that Southern kind of thing, kind of quiet. Mike's kind of quiet, too, in a lot of ways, you know. So, um, you know, sometimes people don't know what to make of it. But I can tell you, personally, they're both really good guys and uh, both have hearts and all that. So um, just just a little no, it's story. A great story. No, it's great. it's great. I was there. I was at the first night. Yeah. I was at the, the, the one in uh, Malibu. Yeah. And then I went to the one in uh, at CSUN. And what was so cool is Tom was playing bass, you know. So, I mean, you know, it was a whole different thing. Totally different vibe. Yeah, there was, uh, you know, Tom Ledden sang as well, and so did Mike. And, I mean, it, it was a really good band. And I, uh, I think that was originally the idea as they were coming mm -hmm. out with that band. And then when things hadn't worked out originally, uh, some of the guys went back uh you know, Tom Ledden and Randall, I think, went back to Florida. And they both, uh, I think one is a music teacher and that kind of thing, and live a very quiet life. And it was really cool that Tom, after all the cool stuff that happened for the Heartbreakers, kind of was willing to go back to those guys and give them another chance at, uh, at what they dreamt. Yeah. And it was so beautiful. It's just the music, you know, just, I love Tom's bass playing. I, lo I oh, loved yeah. it. I mean, it's just Played a Hofner bass, like a Played single cutaway. Beetle bass, yeah, single cutaway. Yeah, it wasn't a Beetle bass, but it was, was kind of right. similar. Similar, but killer tone, like unbelievable player. Yeah. And then I liked the way he sang when he played bass, too. Yeah, that's very difficult to do. I mean, it's easier, I think, to play guitar oh, and play easier. rhythm guitar. But when you're playing bass, sometimes your time thing is happening completely in a different space than where the vocal is. Exactly. And you almost have to, you have to have two parts of your brain working independently to do that yeah, so uh, so true well now that we've talked about that mark i'm going to put you back to work no, we're uh, you've another got another guys. tune here yeah. so uh maybe you want to just uh you know reiterate a little bit with jason i mean you guys communicate so well i don't think there's i'm gonna throw some random say. chords in and try to trick him and see if he can get through it because i think he can oh boy <laughs> here it is well anything can happen on the norms regulators podcast and uh you know, but when you have players like this, uh, it seems to always work out just fine. This is one. Um, this is one that I wrote about kind of being proud of where you come from. It was, it's one of my favorite songs to play on the road. I feel like it's one everyone takes home with them. So let's do it here. It's called One Hometown. It goes like this. We're in D. And I. 
Rode that seven train through the madness of Manhattan And I strummed a six string in Malibu can I've been dealt a five card Vegas hand Four of a kind at 3am I bought the last two tickets on a jet plane London bound And every time I try to lose myself The only truth I've found Got one hometown. The county lines a welcome sign after months out on a run. And I still feel that Main Street dust go running through my blood. Friday nights are at the game where everybody knows your name. Reminding me every time I come back around that you only grow up once on sacred ground. Only got one hometown You know, I mean, being able to read all those notes on uh, on a sheet of paper. <laughs> I'm only kidding, guys. This guy's got ears, and he knows how to phrase and knows when to leave a space, which is one of the most important things in music is a rest. Uh, a lot of people don't know how to do that. I think sometimes what you don't play is more important than what you do play. Well, it emphasizes mm -hmm. what you do play because exactly. it makes it more important. If you just randomly just noting it, you know, I mean, sometimes the notes don't have as much meaning. I actually find my, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but I find myself in the studio whenever I'm cutting guitar parts, because even if I have session guys play on other parts of the record, I like to play as much as I can, but I'll typically with every song, I'll play guitar, even in the session or overdub, just because it makes it sound like me a little bit, you know, we'll all kind of adapt to the playing, but, exactly. um, but I, I find myself saying, don't play too much. And then I'll listen to what I do afterwards and go, I still played too much. <laughs> it's so important to not play too much. It happens to me every time. Really? Mm -hmm. Every time. It's like, it's just the weirdest thing. Because that, that mindset of like, wow, I'm recording this. I want it to be as good as it can be. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard to sort of, especially if it's our own music, it's hard to step back and go, well, maybe a little less or, you know, but. How can you say that phrase without saying one note too many? You know, right. it's like, you know, how can we cut it down and make it the most important notes so that totally. it stands out? Totally. And sometimes a lick or something works, I'm finding, or, you know, I'm still learning, we're always learning, that sometimes when I play something that works, just let it 
ride over the next chord as well. And breathe, yeah. And let it breathe a little, and it'll do something different that you didn't think it was going to do. And and that's a very cool tune, too, again, Mark. I, love I mean, this again, song. you know, this guy's really kind of hitting it, you know, where it's honest and it's, you can tell that it's, it hits home and it's truthful. And that's the thing about country music is that, uh, you know, it's, for it to be good and for people to recognize it and love it, it's got to be believable and it's got to sound like it's you and not, yeah, somebody else. it is funny in a lot of the interviews and stuff. People are like, "What was what was the inspiration for that song?" I'm like, "Well, I lived it." <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like you know, it's like it's it's that's one of the things I like about country music is that you can you can sort of write an honest, uh, you know, an honest story, and someone out there will like it. We hope. Yeah, because you relate to it. Like I'm like as I was listening to your song and trying to remember what key it was in and trying to like not step on your vocal. You did great. You did beautiful. I was like, I totally get this. You know. And that, that's, to me, an, another thing I've learned is, like, listen to the singer. Listen to the songwriter. Listen to what, what, what is the song about. And then you, te you tend to play way less, way less, because you don't want to get step on the story. I will say there was one moment in that song, because the hook says, you know, you only, what does it say? Um, um, you you got to go too figure out, go too far to figure out. You only got one hometown. Well, that you asked me about the Blake Shelton show earlier. And uh, this, one of the shows we did with him was in uh, Lake Tahoe, which went when I first started touring, Lake Tahoe was like the only place I could get a gig. We were living down here in LA and it was like, for some reason there were like casinos and coffee shops and just people. And I just had so many memories of playing in these late night smoke filled casinos for five hours, you know, trying to get it going, seeing that big stage that would have Jackson Brown or Keith Urban or whoever on it, you know, but there was a moment when I was singing that song where, where I kind of got chills singing it. I almost forgot the lyrics of the next chord because as I <laughs> as I as I sang it out, I looked out and I could sort of visually see all these memories swirling around. You know, it was kind of a cool, kind of a cool. That's awesome. Cool moment. I love that. Anyway, well, you know, um, I I'm just really impressed. I mean, these guys are friends, and but you guys never played together before, right? No. No. Oh, and, uh, you know, I mean, you've heard each other play and you guys are buddies and you're both involved with the Midnight Mission and all that. But uh, for some reason, I've been very lucky with these podcasts where I've kind of put a couple people together here and there just on a hunch that I think it's going to be good. And this was really pretty spectacular. Thanks, man. And I've uh, always I'm wanted really to jam impressed. with him. It's great. Likewise. Very yeah. cool. And now getting back to my buddy Jason over here. Now, Jason, um, uh, part of the um, thing with the Dirty Knobs is there's a definite influence from the dead. And uh, sometimes you guys, you know, will stretch it out, you know, with the guitars and all that. And as I said, it's like the, if you're a guitar player, it's a guitar player's dream, this band. Because, I mean, you know, you got Mike and Jason playing together with a fantastic rhythm section. And, you know, it, it's really cool. So can you do something for us that's sort of like, you know, uh, got that kind of feel, like that dead feel? you have anything that you can yeah. uh, come up I with? I mean, here? the... The the new the, our record doesn't really have a lot of that on it. Well, that's what you see when you see the band live. But like when yeah. we stretch out on certain tunes, you know, both both Mike and I kind of bonded over our love for Jerry when we first met. So uh -huh. it comes out. So what do we got? Um, oh, this one's fun. This is one that Mike wa loves me to sing. So okay, makes sense. It's called Deal, Jerry Garcia tune. I'll do. I'll just comp on the A and then start doing some chords. Since it costs a lot to win, even more to lose, 
Show me what you did. Jason today and Mark McCabe kind of rhymes, kind of sounds pretty good. I have know? a vibe. We're going to play more in the future. I think well, so. I think it was really, really cool, and it's my honor to have these guys here doing our show. And um, you know, it's uh, you know, there's two kinds of music: there's good music and there's bad music. And we <laughs> only have good music here. And uh, you know, it's just a pleasure to hear guys who are listening and following. And you know, this is kind of just throwing them right in the fire and saying, "Here, figure it out, guys. Let's see where you're at." And these guys have thanks for come putting out it together. So fun, yeah, flying yeah, colors. Well, very, very cool. So um, I just want to thank you guys for listening to our podcast. And remember, you can see this video um, at the All Guitar Network for free. Just sign up for it at the App Store. And again, the podcast is where, wherever you go, Spotify or Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. And please tell your friends. And if you love it, please tell your friends. If you hate it, please Keep your mouth shut. Don't say a word to anybody. Uh, but I don't think, if you like music, I don't think you can hate this. You might hate me, but you can't hate these guys. So the great Jason Sine, the great Mark McKay, really a cool thing. Just a really pleasure having these guys here. And I can't thank them enough. And thank you guys for listening. We love you all.
everybody. So uh, we like to tell you guys about what instruments are being played in this podcast. And my buddy Jason is playing a Martin D28 from the early 70s. Um, you know, not usually anything special, just a good guitar. But when you think about a Martin guitar, the D28 is the model that first comes to mind. Absolutely. This is a killer. I love this guitar. It's killer. Sounds really good. Plays really good. And then, Mark, you are endorsed by Taylor. I am. Is that right? Yep. And uh, so this is a very basic kind of standard Taylor guitar, smaller body, um, rosewood sides and back, um, but very basic, but sounds really good. And it's a nice blend between the two guitars. It is. Yeah, it's a great, this contrast between the sound is really, really fun. Whenever we form our duo someday, we'll have to make sure we have one Martin and one Taylor in the mix. There you go. 100%. And, and, and Jay, you have a lot of guitars. So like, you know, when you, and you have a number of acoustics, so each one of them says something different. You have Taylors, you have Gibsons, Martins, just a, yeah. just a word in general. I mean, I love, something I love about Taylors, there's a brightness about them, but they're not tinny. They're, and they cut. They're, they're, I love, love them, especially in the studio. Um, I mostly play, for years, it was a D28 that I bought from you, a 65 mm -hmm. D28. Brazilian Rosewood. Brazilian Rosewood, and um, incredible guitar. But since I got that other, the Gibson Southern Jumbo from you, which was formerly owned by the Akito master himself, Steven Seagal, um, mm -hmm. it's, this guitar is beat, beat to death, but it's the best acoustic guitar I've ever played in my life. That's the thing about some, you know, guitars that, you know, have been loved and played and the crap beat out of them and they're still taking a licking and keep on ticking. Yeah. You know, they work real good. And, and sometimes when I see somebody and the guitar is too new and shiny, it kind of, you know, I just kind of feel like somebody just handed them the guitar. But when you see something that looks like it's been on the road with you for a while, um, it has a vibe and a mojo. And what about you, Mark? What do you think? Um, so I, I do play a, a handful of Taylors. Um, I will say that one of the reasons I grabbed this one, this, this kind of smaller body style, which is um, uh, kind of like the one I have at home that I play a lot, it just inspires me to finger pick for some reason, you mm -hmm. know? So I get just, I, I probably would have grabbed this shape anyway, but knowing what we were going to play on the show, you know, I just thought, well, that is kind of the guitar that inspires me. I kind of feel like I'm sitting by a campfire just telling stories, you know? And, and uh, I would agree with you on everything you just said about how guitars age and and uh, I've had it. My dad had uh, a Taylor when I was a really little kid, and it's uh, it's terrifying how good that thing sounds now. You know, over time, it's just amazing what they. What well, they that's sort of the premise behind my stories. At the older, I mean, it's the premise behind Stradivarius violins and everything. You can't, uh, you know, uh, emphasize enough what age does to wood. You know, when it comes to tone wood, so and true. All that. Yep. And the more they're played, a lot of times, the better they sound. So uh, there we go. That's uh, our what they were playing. And uh, thank you guys for listening. Hey, guys. So I want to tell you, you know, so much is happening for the Dirty Knobs right now. It's crazy. You guys are getting ready to go out on tour with Chris Stapleton, who's really great. And uh, that's going to be some show, you know. We're excited about that. Before we do that run, we're doing our, our first national tour where we're headlining in smaller venues and it's we're very very excited. They won't be small venues for long because <laughs> I know it's going to catch on. And and now it's being called uh, Mike Campbell and the Dirty Knobs. But what is the website if people want to kind of look it's, you guys uh, up? Thedirtyknobs.com, and you could hear our new single. You can order our record. You could buy tickets to shows. 
And it's a good idea for you guys to support good music because if you don't, then all you're going to get is bad music. So uh, that's a really good point. <laughs> I'm going to remind people of this. What what Norman just said? It's so profound and I know. so true. Profound. Simple that's in my own simplicity. So my true. own simplicity and impishness. Uh, but you know, there it is. You got to yeah. support the good music, and you got to make these guys. Um, have a career when when they're they've worked all their lives to hone their craft, and you know they've got to be able to, um, you know, reap the rewards of what they've done, and and you know when you appreciate what's happening, it's really good. And Mark, now tell us about you, how we can find you. You can find me at markmckayofficial.net or on Instagram at, at markmckay. I think Facebook's the same thing. It's all you can all find it from there. I just want to go on the record and say that the Dirty Knobs on Chris Stapleton's summer tour is the must-see event of the year. I'm going to go to as many of them as I can, and so Please. should everybody else listening. Well, it's Please. going to be a great tour, and you know you should see Jason with the Dirty Knobs and Mike, Mike Campbell in the Dirty Knobs. And I think that's a good idea calling it that, so people know that. Well, the Mike's record's involved. called the Dirty Knobs, but you know the way we're. Uh, the way it's being advertised for concerts and so I think it's smart because people yeah. want to know. People love Mike so much that people want to know about that. 100%. And, and Mark, you know, your thing is, you know, both of these guys, you know, are about to explode. And I'm really, really grateful that they did the show. And you can look me up at uh, bozo.com. <laughs> uh, you, know, you can, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if it's bozo dot bozo.com or just bozo.com <laughs> but anyhow we have so much fun with this stuff here and we try not to take it too seriously other than you get to hear some great music so thank you thank Jason you Sine. thank you mark mckay thank you thank you guys for listening you can get us on apple podcasts or spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and please give us a good rating we could use it thank you very much